My name's Dr. Gary Crotez, and I am a coach, podcaster, and award-winning author of The Idea Mindset, a book about how to figure out what you want and how to get it. The unlock moment is that flash of remarkable clarity when you suddenly know the right path ahead. When I'm in conversation with my coaching clients, these are the breakthroughs that are so profound that they remember vividly where they were, who they were with, what they were thinking when their unlock moment happened. In this special episode, I'm bringing you a live recording of the unlock moment. In May 2023, I presented the unlock moment on stage at the CLIMB 23 Innovation Conference in Leeds here in the UK. CLIMB is the UK's festival of innovation, industry and investment and is brought to you by Investor Ladder and CRSI. You can find out about next year's event by going to the website climb24.co.uk. In this session, I was in conversation with Georgia Kirk from Right Business Results, a business that helps entrepreneurs to share their ideas by getting published. We talked together about the origin of the unlock moment and how it is a powerful way to unlock your deepest underlying sense of purpose to fuel your success in business and in life. We do a live demonstration of the unlock moment with Georgia herself. And of course, we bring to life many fascinating stories from here on the Unlock Moment podcast. I hope you enjoy this special live recording of the Unlock Moment in conversation with Georgia Kirk at Climb 23. Good afternoon, everybody. Thank you very much for joining us for this panel. Uh, now, before I introduce my fabulous guest, uh, we, I just want to uh, do a, um, a throwback to a panel yesterday with EHE Capital, Guy Remond and Gary Fletcher. And they talked about uh, fast growth through funding. Uh, what is it really about? And it's not about the financials. It's not even necessarily about the product or the idea, but rather it's about the people. Because when an investor can see the people behind the product, then that's when they can emotionally connect and really buy in. But what is it about people that makes us stand out and that makes us stand out to other people? It's the purpose that drives us. And so our wonderful guest, Dr. Gary Crotas, is here to talk to us about purpose-driven leadership, but with a very unique take. And in the call that Gary and I had before uh, meeting here at Climb, I didn't actually realize... Uh, what a thing his work actually is. We talk about the word purpose a lot in business, but probably so much that it loses its meaning. Um, we all like to think that we, we have a sense of purpose, uh, but Gary's going to be uh, connecting purpose to storytelling and uh, doing some work with all of us here today uh, to get really clear on what that is. Before we start, can I just see by show of hands, who, sa- who would say that they are completely clear on their purpose? Raise your hands if you have complete clarity. On that okay, brilliant. Thank you very much. About half the room. Uh, so we're going to go into that in a bit more, in a bit more detail. Uh, and I think Gary's probably only also going to be doing some live de- demoing. I might have volunteered myself as a guinea pig, so uh, we'll see what happens. But please join me in welcoming Dr. Gary Crotaz. Thank you. Would you mind introducing yourself, please, Gary? So I'm Gary. Uh, I am a doctor twice over. I'm a medical doctor and I did a PhD many, many years ago in in a science lab. When I was in my late 20s, I decided that I didn't want to practice in medicine and went into business instead, spent about 10 years in consulting, strategy consulting, 
in my late 30s decided I should get a proper job and joined Mothercare, eventually being uh, promoted up into the executive committee as Mothercare as their customer director. Um, I spent a, a few years then in portfolio roles and I was on the executive team of Selfridges Group. Uh, I joined Selfridges Group right at the beginning of the pandemic. So I was there for the first six months of the pandemic uh, in an interim role. And I, as I built my portfolio career, I started to think and part of that was mentoring and coaching. If I was coaching myself, what should I do? And my answer was do the thing that you really love doing, which is spending time with people, helping to unlock their potential. And that was the beginning of my coaching in 2020. Since then, I've built my coaching practice, written a book called The Idea Mindset, launched a podcast called The Unlock Moment, and started my speaking career as well. So now I work with high potential and high performing leaders here in the UK, in the US, and in Europe. I work with ultra high net worth families, and I work with CEOs of entrepreneurial high growth businesses as well. Thank you very much. It's an illustrious career. This is what, it, well, it is, and, but with, but with uh, some incredible achievements. What strikes me are the timeframes. Um, can you talk us through how, or maybe why is the better question, uh, you can do so well in such a variety of, of the ways that you apply yourself? I think I get bored easily, that's for, uh -huh. that's for sure. So there's this kind of time when I, when I, when I feel like I want to start something new. There's a coach uh, who's been on my podcast called Whitney Johnson, who's got 1.8 million followers on LinkedIn, and she runs a podcast called Disrupt Yourself. And she talks about the S-curves of learning. You grow up the S-curve, you get to plateau at the top of that S-curve, like an investment S-curve. And then you need to start a new S-curve, where you start at the bottom again and you head up the, you know, the growth spurt. And that's kind of the journey that I feel I've been on myself. Personally, I just feel like you know, expertise is a great thing, but also the way you think, the way you solve problems, the way you deal with the unknown is a really important thing too. So often when I've made transitions in my career, I've been comfortable to go into an environment where I don't know that space. The first time I worked at Mothercare, I'd never worked in retail before. I joined a tech firm in my mid-40s last year for the first time, and now I'm doing some work in, in data and AI and chat GPT. It's a really new thing, but it's, it's exciting because there's new questions to answer. Um, and talking, uh, listening to Jen Byrne earlier when she was saying, you know, tech skills last for about three years, that really resonates with me because you're constantly evolving and constantly changing. You need to embrace that. That's an interesting way to look at tech, isn't it? So I suppose, uh, you know, for us entrepreneurs, variety is something that drives a lot of us. Um, I think we all have a tendency to get bored quite easily and to need to, to mix things up. Equally, we seem to be always on this, this sort of journey towards working in our own zone of genius, you know, and, and sort of delegating or, or eliminating the tasks that don't energize us. Uh, so I think we can often create a rod for our own backs, right? Because we engage with all of this variety, um, but then uh, we're, we're like constantly busy, um, mm -hmm. and we have to choose our busy and choose our hard, don't we? And just uh, hope that we're, you know, that we're kind of um, plowing energy into the right areas. But this connects deeply with purpose. It, it, it really does, and, and I first properly embraced what my sense of purpose was really quite recently. I was on a podcast uh, talking about my other work, and the uh, podcast host, who's a psychiatrist in the US, he said, what is the common thread that follows through this rather eclectic career that you've had? And I went, I've never really thought about it in that way. I'd always followed, kind of followed my gut a bit, you know, made quite instinctive decisions, uh, and I thought, actually, there's something about making a difference to people 
that when I was medical school, I was trying to make a difference to patients in the hospital. And then as a retail leader, I was trying to make a difference to people who were going to lose their jobs because the stores were closing. And now in coaching, I'm trying to make a difference to the people that I'm working with in the coaching partnership. But I hadn't intentionally really followed that as a thing. Like it's on, on, on the wall and I'm following in that, that kind of journey. But when I look back, there is this kind of common thread. Mm. And that helped me to think about, well, how do I help people that I'm working with in coaching to figure out what that is for them. And the Unlock moment came in the middle of one coaching journey, actually. So episode one of the podcast is with a guy called Sam Horton, who is an actor. He's not a famous actor. He was an actor in pub theaters and then in pantomimes and then in ensemble roles in touring shows. And we were doing some coaching when I was starting to get going. And we were working for about a four-month period on a particular question that was not complex but was hard, which was, do I pursue happiness or do I pursue success? Because, by the way, everyone around Sam was saying, you should get a bigger role in a bigger show and then you should get on the West End stage and then you should win an Olivier Award. And he went, but I don't know that that would make me happy. And what makes me happy is being in a lovely production with people that I like, but if I pursue that path, then maybe I will never make any money. He was living with his parents and, you know, you get paid £100 for a week in, in one of those kinds of shows. And he struggled with that because it was a really pivotal kind of decision. And for four months, and in this episode of the podcast, he says, I, I really found you frustrating in this time because you wouldn't let me not think about the answer to that question. <laughs> and he was in Korea in the ensemble of the international touring production of School of Rock. And he texted me at four o'clock in the morning and he said, I've got it. And I said, some, I said, what have you got? And he said, I figured it out. I said, what's the answer? He said, I want to pursue happiness. What do you think? And I said the most non-coaching thing. I said, yes. And he went, why so sure? And I said, because you just texted me at 4 o'clock in the morning, and I know that you've been grappling with this for months, so I suspect you're probably right. He was right. And over the course of the next two to three years, he started to intentionally choose happiness over success when he had a pivot point. Do I go for this audition? Do I go for that role? How do I show up in the audition? I'm going to perform in the way that makes me happy, even if they don't like it. Surprise, surprise, they liked it because he was more authentic, he was more real. And this summer, he's joining the West End cast of Phantom of the Opera. It's his first West End role. Because he's not pursued success, he's become more successful than ever in his career. And I was like, this, I've got to name this. This has got to be a thing. And I called it the unlock moment, the moment of remarkable clarity when you suddenly figure out the path ahead. And then as I started to interview other people, entrepreneurs, senior business leaders, I interviewed the chief executive of Gray's Snacks, uh, Anthony Fletcher, on the podcast. And people talk about a business clarity or a, a personal life clarity, a health episode. And when you start to see this pattern in the unlock moment, which is it really talks to purpose. People remember 20 years on, where were they when this happened? Who were they with? What were they thinking? What was the weather? What were they wearing? That's the unlock moment. And as you dig into that, and we should have this conversation, you get a different lens on purpose than the, okay, I've got to write slide one of my investor deck. What is my mission? What is my purpose? You know, what's important to me? By the way, what would the investor want it to be important for me? What we want to know is, what's really important to you? What's it really about? And if that means that the business you're growing is the wrong one for you, then recognize it now and not in five years' time when you hate it. 
and you've got to pivot and do something else. That's, that's the heart of the unlock moment. Yeah, thank you, and thank you for clarifying. And this is why it's such a thing. It's not our origin story or our mission statement, but it's the moment that we know why we're doing what we're doing, not what we're doing, but why. And I think that, that that's what's so powerful, because often it's just a small moment in time that we could take for granted and actually never understand its true significance. Um, could you share uh, your unlock moment? So for me, and I think people can have more than one in their life and career, but not many. So there are unlock moments, which is the gradually progressing clarity of I've figured out who I want to be, how I want to train, how I want to develop. That's your kind of little unlock moments. The unlock moment is the one you're going to remember in 20 years' time. So the one that I normally talk about is when I left medical school at the age of 28, I trained in Cambridge, did the, the clinical training and a PhD in Cambridge. The moment, the unlock moment is the moment of knowing, not the moment of deciding or the moment of action. The moment of knowing, I was walking down the corridor in uh, the Cambridge Institute for Medical Research, and the thought that came into my head suddenly, with no anticipation, I wasn't trying to figure it out, was, I don't have to do this if I don't want to. It wasn't, I will leave medicine. It was, I don't have to be a doctor if I don't want to be. And I invested eight years in medical school at that point. It gave me the permission to explore, well, what would I do if I didn't do this? Because, by the way, in medical school, you're on a conveyor belt. Everybody's doing the same thing. If you progress through and you qualify, you will become a doctor. You will do this job and then this job and then this job. And I went, I've known for a long time that I don't really love this, but I had never given myself the permission to explore elsewhere. And over the following months, I started to say, well, what do medical students and doctors do if they don't do medicine? And then I found consulting, and I didn't know that I was going to be successful in consulting because I had no business background, but I knew that I wanted to throw myself into that space and back myself to make that decision. So it comes back to the moment of knowing, knowing I have permission to explore something different. Thank you. And that permission element is key because we're entrepreneurs, right? We work for ourselves. We're the boss. We're in charge. We don't need permission. We're risk takers. We're rebels. But actually, don't we all at times uh, get crippled by self-doubt? You know, haven't we all not done something because on some level we don't believe that we're worthy of it or that we can? Or we have limiting beliefs such as, well, I don't have the right team around me, I don't have the budget available. And actually, sometimes uh, we need permission, but there's nobody to give it to us apart from ourselves. So I think that that's a really important component of this. Yeah. How can you help us give ourselves that permission today? Like, how, how could, if, if, some, if one person could leave this room feeling unlocked... What would be the process they would have to go through? And, and that is my hope. So, so I feel like I want to make a difference to one person or many. So I'm happy if I make a difference to one person in this room. And I'm quite happy if I, there's a chance that I may make a difference to one person in this room, that somebody here might experience their unlock moment. So can we demonstrate with you? <laughs> yes. Okay. There's two questions that really get to the heart of the unlock moment. And you hear on the podcast, if you, if you find the podcast on Apple, Spotify, and all the places, and you follow it, you'll hear me ask these kind of questions. Question one is, where do we need to start in your journey to understand the person you are today? Which is a big and daunting question. And, you, really and I have no idea what the answer is, although we did have this conversation. <laughs> yeah, on this occasion, you do. But only about half an hour ago and it yeah. was actually quite it was like a 
I got this weird kind of, you know, in the, the hairs in the back of your arm stand up because it was something that I remember, but I don't know why I remember it because I didn't know why it was significant. And, uh, and, it, and, and at first I told Gary that it was the moment I uh, decided to, to, to help people write books, which is my business today, and I've been doing that for nearly eight years. Um, and I, I was already doing it. I helped somebody write their book. Uh, and then uh, they said, well, you've got a business here if you want to. So that was like ridiculous because I was already doing it. And I thought, oh, yeah, that is what I want to do. That's what I'm here to do. And I've been doing it ever since. But that, that's not the answer. Yep. The real answer is when I was five years old and I was playing in the garden and the wind blew and I was holding onto the summer house doors um, and my little finger got caught in the hinge and it really hurt and it started to bleed, so I cried. But I also had no clothes on, so I felt really embarrassed that I was crying. And it was the first time I ever remember feeling the emotion of shame. Uh, but it also, because I felt ashamed, I didn't want to go and tell mum, and normally that's what I would have done. I was five years old, I hurt myself, I cry, I tell mum. Um, so instead, I just waited for it to stop bleeding and, and, and just didn't tell anybody about it. And it, it, not, it was not until half an hour ago I'd ever uh, explored the fact that I now associate not, not sharing with shame. And so for me, sharing is, is all about human connection and it's all about who we are. And all my work, really, in my adult life has been about helping people to share. So I think that that's really powerful. And it made me feel a bit emotional, actually, thinking about it. And I want you to listen to something very specific, which is how vivid that story is at the moment when it is the true unlocked moment. It's not like, oh, I figured out that this was, of the three business options, this was the most profitable. That's not an unlocked moment. The unlocked moment is, it was raining. I was walking down the pavement, I was wearing a blue coat, and it didn't work in the rain, and I felt bad. And as a result of that, something, 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 you're getting into that kind of space. And it's so powerful, because as an investor, investing into entrepreneurs, you're going, I want to know that this idea is great, but more than that, I want to know you're going to have another thing and you're going to grow this. And in the difficult times, you're going to be resilient. And that's so important. So I feel like suddenly you as a person are more investable because it's not just you happen to have a great business helping people to write books. There's a fundamental reason why that's what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And if this book doesn't work, you're going to help somebody write another one because it's core to your purpose. That's so, so important. I told Georgia about a story. There's a, a, a CEO of an emerging biotech company that I'm currently working with in coaching. Um, and she is a brilliant scientist. She's in her late 20s, and she has disproved probably 40 years of orthodoxy in biotechnology and published two first author nature papers during her PhD. She's really quite remarkable. And she's now telling her story for a seed funding round that is over 10 million pounds. That's the scale of what she's doing. And I said, Tell me, the time, tell me uh, where we need to start in your journey in order to understand the person you are today. And she said, when I was seven years old, I was a tomboy and I was a rebel. And I never accepted people telling me where to go, what to do, what to think. And then she said, when I was 15 and one of my grandparents was dying, and I remember the doctor saying to me, she's getting old, it's inevitable, at some point there's nothing more we can do. And she said, I just felt it can't be true that there's nothing more we can do. 10 years later, she inserted herself through biochemistry into a PhD in aging research and then disproved this point, that there's nothing we can do. And that's what she's doing now. Now I understand why she's in the field that she's in. Now I understand why she was the person who said, no, I don't accept 40 years of orthodoxy. I don't believe 
that that has to be right. And I believe that what she's done now, she would go on and do it again and again and again because she's a rebel, because she's the tomboy. That's the thing that really tells me about who she is. The second question that then gets really into the heart of the unlock moment is, tell me about that moment of remarkable clarity when you suddenly knew the right path ahead, which is then, in your case, talking to the moment where you decided to, to start this business. So tell me about that moment when you suddenly knew this is what I want to be doing with my life. Somebody I really respected had asked for help writing their book, but he, he came to me with a particular challenge, which was uh, that he doesn't want to write a book. And so this was, uh, in the first instance, confusing, and I had to repeat it back to him. So, Mark, you're telling me that you want to write a book without wanting to write a book, and you're telling me why. Um, and actually what he was saying was he wanted to become an author, but he didn't want to have to go through the inconvenience of upskilling to also become a writer. And uh, that, uh, to me, was like this huge epiphany because I'm, I'm, I am a writer and it's something that I love deeply and my seventh birthday present was a typewriter just so that I could write stories. Um, but we realised between us that what was missing was a process. And so I, uh, my promise to him was that I would go away and research and create this ideal process that would take him from quite literally a blank page through to published author without having to write a single word. And there were no other companies that I could find that were, that were offering this, so it seemed like a really big problem that needed solving. And I knew that a lot of entrepreneurs would want to write their books, and so I knew that if I could nail this for Mark, then I had solved uh, probably a, a, you know, a very, very big issue for people all over the world. And, so, and that's what I did. And so that the, that the moment of clarity was... And, and, in fact, just to interrupt myself, uh, at that time, eight years ago, tech isn't obviously where it is today. Um, and so how's this just to freak everybody out? Um, you didn't used to be able to transcribe calls using AI. No, instead, you had to buy a separate license for a piece of software that would record Skype calls, and I would have to handwrite what Mark was saying uh, as I was asking him questions. And then I would have to type that content up myself. And so the books were literally handwritten. And then I came across a company in the States that you could send the, the, uh, the recordings into to be transcribed, but it was still by humans. So th there was a lot of inconvenience in the whole process. Anyway, fast forward, it only took three months. Um, and his book was published, and there were things along the way, you know, like, so then after the draft was done, he said, oh, well, now I want illustrations. And he was kind of, I could see, he was always saying it with a smile, like it was kind of fun for him to watch me solve these challenges. Um, and so I went and, and talked to graphic designers, and I found someone who could create the style that he loved, and we added in imagery, and we did the covers, and we typeset it, and we self-published it. So the, the, the clarity came in the follow-up phone call. I, I wanted to know that he was happy, and that he felt his message and his words were conveyed, and it was important to capture his tone of voice. Um, and uh, and that, that was when he said, I can't believe that we've done this. I can't believe that I'm a published author without writing a single word, and this sounds exactly like me. My wife wouldn't know that, that someone else was involved. Um, and that's when I knew that's what I'm here to do, that that's an expression of uh, a combination of, of abilities that I possess would be to, to help other people through a business. And in that moment, how did you feel? Like, scared and excited, like elated. Because it felt huge at the time. 
Listen to that language. There's an episode on the podcast with a guy called Gary Ridge, who for 25 years was the CEO and chairman of WD-40 Company, a hugely successful global releasing oils company. He's famous for creating an incredibly engaged organization, 93% employee engagement, multiplied the value of his business by tenfold. And the specific language he used when he described becoming CEO of a US public company for the first time was, I was scared, but I was not afraid. That's what you just said. And that's the power. That's the bit I want you to tune into. You heard strategic brilliance, vision, passion, persistence, you know, product market fit. I heard seven-year-old with a typewriter. <laughs> right? That moment, that's the unlocked moment. This bit that we don't normally tune into because we do the strategy bit and the action plan bit and the efficiency bit and the building a team and following the management process. Great, important. This bit is the bit that when it's hard, I know you're still going to be here next year doing the same thing, even if you can't afford a new pair of shoes. That's the thing. And that's what I want people to really tune into as a different way of thinking about purpose. Where it goes to for me from there is, and we talked about this before, when you've got four people or six people around your kitchen table and you're mixing smoothies, you're building a satellite, purpose is quite easy because the reason you're all there is because you all probably know each other and you all share some purpose and you're passionate about it. And by the way, each of you's got 25% stake in the business. So, so purpose is not so difficult then. But as you start to scale the business and now you've got 100 people, some of whom you didn't personally recruit, how can you retain the power of purpose, and by the way, it's really powerful, through your organization as you start to scale? And that comes to the idea of vulnerable storytelling. So we tell stories about how we started the business and how it grew, and you know, then I met this person, and then we came together, and then we did the strategy away day. But we don't necessarily tell this story. You know, I was a seven-year-old with a typewriter. I remember cutting my finger, and that made me... The reason that I'm still here doing this thing through these difficult times is because of this thing that you don't know about me. You know, I told you about what it felt like when you know, I was in the corridor of the, of the lab saying I'm going to leave medicine. What I didn't tell you was the, the overwhelming thought for me was you don't leave medicine. It is not a career you leave, and if you do leave, you can't go back because you're always the person who left. If I'd left for a month and come back and gone, actually, it didn't work out, my career forever would be in the CV of the person who left, and everybody else didn't leave. So I knew that it was a, a one-way door, jumping out the plane without a parachute and having to learn to fly as you drop through the 8,000 feet to the ground. That felt massively vulnerable. Um, and I probably didn't tune in at that time to how vulnerable I was making myself at, at that time. But now I do. Uh, and I really connect in with people on, you know, those moments of, of you don't know feel very, very hard. And when you want people to follow you and trust you and go on a journey with you and go above and beyond for you, they want to know that it matters for you mm -hmm. in that kind of way. That's really important. And if you look at the statistics and say, you know, young people, particularly millennials, parents, care really a lot about purpose, more so than older generations. So sometimes senior business leaders and investors don't understand the power of purpose to the people who are really impacted by it, the people they're recruiting into their organizations. But people who feel like they live their purpose every day 
are six times more likely to, to, to consider themselves to be highly resilient. They're four times as likely to consider themselves to be healthy. They're six times more likely to stay with the organization. They're one and a half times more likely to want to go above and beyond in their role. Those are all the behaviors that as an entrepreneur, an investor, you want in your team. It comes because they feel their own purpose in what they're doing and they follow your purpose in what you're doing as a business. So it, it matters beyond it's a lovely thing to do and it is a lovely thing to do. But it matters for business performance, business resilience, holding on to your top talent, all those things that make your business successful. Yeah, it, and, and this is it's a really key point to pull out there, that is the, the understanding your unlock moment and, you know, getting clarity on, on what, what's behind the, the purpose, behind the purpose, I mm. suppose. Um, but it's the storytelling, and this is why um, it's, it's storytelling uh, because it fosters connection, but specifically in businesses, it's leadership, you know, and, and it's, it's what creates a company culture. And uh, it, it's, what, um, it's what's going to attract you know, the best talent, really. And, and aren't we all trying to build a company uh, that can be self-managing to give us some freedoms in life as entrepreneurs? Or aren't we all trying to build a company uh, that we can sell at some point in time? Um, and so we can't do that without the right people around us. So it's very important as leaders that we start with ourselves and that we stop asking questions of our teams like, why can't they be more productive? Why can't they work as hard? Why don't they care as much as I do? because they're not going to, because they're not you and it's not their business. Um, but actually, why can't they join your mission? Why can't they believe what you believe? And, but if you're not sharing, if we're not doing that, we're not letting them. We're not giving anybody the opportunity to put their hands up and say, I want to come with you and do what you're doing. Yeah. Um, so can we talk a bit more about company culture and how leaders can uh, you know, storytell and bring their purpose into play in their businesses to, uh, to, to attract and keep really the best people? Yeah, I, I, it, it's such an important topic, and you see in management leadership styles over the last 10 years, 20 years, have really transformed from boss-style paternalistic leadership to a much more human, humble, vulnerable, servant type of leadership, for good reason, because it drives much better engagement, productivity, effectiveness of the team, stickiness within the organization, high-performance culture, all those kinds of things. The way you do it is to understand what it is for yourself, and then start to tell those stories to the team and engage them in your purpose, but then also to do that with them as well. So as a leader, if you're sitting there going, I'm brilliantly connected with my purpose and I can tell you what it is, you just need to be inspired by me, it doesn't work. And so turning the culture to say, my role is to set this up so it's really successful and then to get out of your way and to help you to be at your best and have the career you want, have the life you want, is so important because people will give you 10, 20% more. I mean, that's what the data from people like Gallup will show you. A highly engaged organization drives 20% higher productivity of its people, 10% higher customer loyalty, 45% lower employee turnover compared with a low engaged organization. So those questions, where do we need to start in your story to understand who you are today? Ask that of your people. Find out what it is for them. And then try and give them an environment and work to do that plays to their purpose as well as connects with the overarching company purpose. Tell me where you were when you had these remarkable moments of clarity. You'll learn something about the people because those little stories make them feel heard and shaped. And a strong culture that, that, that creates people feeling super engaged is a culture where people are listened to and their leaders are interested in them, they want to invest in them, they want to create that environment where they can do the things they want to do. If they want to work full-time, they can work full-time, or part-time, or hybrid, or you know, they've got kids, or they've got an elderly parent. Whatever's going on for them 
You've got to be engaged with it. It's so, so important. I'm on a panel session in London tomorrow for an organization called the Retail Trust, which is the huge charity for the retail industry. And we're talking about how to have conversations with people about difficult stuff that's happening for them outside of work. And when I was in mother care, I remember being a little bit blind to that until I realized some of the things that were going on for people. And I had no idea because they were really good at not showing it at work. And I thought, it's not okay for me as a leader to not be mindful of the context for everybody. And it's really important to start to open up and think differently about the way you lead. It's hard though, isn't it, sometimes? Mm -hmm. that, that, that's that's the, the flip side, I suppose. Mm -hmm. As leaders, you know, we, we, uh, we wear so many hats, we spin so many plates. Um, to, to, to be vulnerable, I suppose, to our teams mm -hmm. uh, can sometimes feel counterintuitive. Um, where could one of us start? You know, let's say I come to you and I say, look, I know that I need to, to share more and be more open, but I, I, don't, I don't know how. I'll give you a real example. So I was coaching a senior leader at a very large global online retail business. Um, and um, we were working on this leader's strengths. So did a formal strengths profile, the Gallup Clifton strengths profile. And for that individual, it showed this is me at my best. This is where I, as a leader, am doing things that are really supporting myself and supporting my team, but also was recognizing I'm different from my team, and this is some things that they have as talents that I don't have, things that I have as talents that they don't have. So I've got to start appreciating that they're all not like me. They don't see the world like I do. They don't respond in the way I do. They're not energized in the way I do. Um, and he said to me, I changed my approach with, with the team, and he said, he took on, he doubled the size of his team, took on these new people, and he said, before, if I'd taken on a new team, I would have sent them to my LinkedIn page, given them my CV, and talked about some of the projects I've done in the past, and said, this is an introduction to me, this is how I like to work, I have meetings on a Tuesday and a Friday, this is how you fit in. And he said, I didn't do that, so he's in a tech company, and he said, I wrote my Craig user guide, he called it, um, and he said, this is me at my best. If you work with me in this way, you'll get me at my best times, I'll give you my best thinking, this is me at my worst. If you operate with me like this, then you'll get the worst of me. Not because I'm being difficult, but it's just not me. So if you want me to really think about your problem, send me some stuff 24 hours in advance because I like to reflect. If you just show up and throw a question at me, I'm not going to give you a great answer because I need that time. But this is what you can count on me to do. So he said, if you need time with me, I will always find you time. And then he said, and this is what I need from you. So this is what I need from you in order to enable me to be at my best. And then he said, well, now we're gonna do the same for you. So each of you, I want you to think about, you get the best of me when this is true. You get the worst of me when this is true. You can always count on me to do these things and this is what I need from you. And the team changed. He said, I got 30% higher productivity because the team started to go, oh, the ownership is on us to do things as well as on the leader. And it completely changed the dynamic because they were sitting back and going, you tell us what to do, we'll do it. And if we can't do it, we'll tell you why we can't do it. To we as a team are trying to achieve this extraordinary goal. How are we all going to do it? With all of our experience and all of our perspectives, it became a much flatter structure and he had to do less of the doing. And it was set up by the fact that he showed his vulnerability in saying, I'm not perfect. You know, I'm not always going to be the best kind of leader, but these are things you can do to help me be at my best. It fundamentally changed the dynamic in his team. I love that example. Thank you. It's brilliant because it's about participation and collaboration. Right. right. 
Right. And, you know, multi-directional versus, yeah. you know, yeah. leader-follower. Yeah. And it's important because we've all gone through our careers seeing leaders ahead of us and being inspired by them, and often they're 10, 20 years ahead of us. So they are going to tend to be of the older working practices. And actually, if you want to connect particularly with you know, more junior people in the team today, you have to say, what can I learn from that? Mm -hmm. But actually, what don't I want to do from that world, even though it's inspiring to me as I came through? What do the people that are in my team need, and what do I need from them? So, so let go a little bit of what the management book and the MBA says, and say, who do I want to be at work? How do I want to show up? And it's okay to be different from other people. Like Pebbles on a Beach, we're all unique, fundamentally unique from each other. That's what's really important. Thank you very much. Let's move on to your podcast because you take this conversation to some incredible people. Um, and uh, you've had some fantastic guests on the show and discussing uh, unlock moments and, and, and how they apply the, the knowledge that they regain through going through the, using your methods. Mm. Um, what are some of your favorite conversations and, and why? I've interviewed some high-profile people, um, the chairman of Honest Company, Jessica Alba's company, the CEO of WD40 Company, some of the world's leading coaches. But I also love interviewing what I call ordinary people with extraordinary stories. And one of those is a woman called Hayley Thomas, who used to be in my team at Mothercare years ago. She was a digital retail leader. Um, and she'd always had this idea that she wanted to start a business. And she actually describes on the podcast that she, when, a, when she was a child, she was going around garden centers, seeing the little stone hedgehogs and going, maybe I want to build a, a stone hedgehogs business when I grow up. So that was her like, origin story of entrepreneurship. Her husband was diagnosed with stage three bowel cancer at the age of about 40. Um, and it was out of the blue. And five years later, he's been treated and he's okay. So it's a good outcome to the story. But they had two young kids. And she said, my unlock moment was realizing there's this thing that we've been putting off because there's always time to do that entrepreneurial business. It's just not now. And suddenly, when her husband was diagnosed with cancer, she said, I realized that, that maybe there's not always time. And at the early stage of his chemotherapy for stage three bowel cancer with two young children, they went, yeah, we will start up the online fashion brand that we've always wanted to do because we want to get it going and we want to do it together. We don't know what the future holds and we're going to do it. Five years on, that's a business called Eleven Loves. It's got 65,000 followers on Instagram and it's a really beautiful boutique women's fashion brand, completely online, social media driven. And when you understand that it came from this moment of real challenge and, and personal emotional turmoil for the couple, suddenly you're like, it's not just somebody went, oh, this is a really good way to make money. It's not about that at all. It's because they wanted to make real an idea that they'd had. And that was the trigger to make them go, okay, I'm going to go and do it. And really, you know, she talks now about, you know, what that means for them as a business, uh, what they like to do in, in, in their work in the social space and connecting with cancer charities, etc. It comes from that really powerful origin story. And people join that business and want to be a part of that team because they believe in... Haley and her husband and the journey that they've been on personally. Thank you. But isn't that incredible? Only somebody as bonkers as an entrepreneur would go and go, I know, what should we do now? Uh, you know, my, my life could end in the next mm. few months. I know, I'll, yeah. we'll set up a new business. Yeah. Uh, and we'll do it together and screw it. Let's see. I mean, that's incredible anyway. But I can imagine because there is such a, because of the reason for doing it and the purpose behind it, mm. um, the drive it must have given them yeah. uh, must have been intense. But what role do you think having that purpose played in his recovery? 
I don't know. That's, that's a really good question. And I, I said, is he involved in the business? She said, yeah, he's packing boxes in our spare room at the moment. They've now, five years on, just switched to it's not actually an in-their-spare-room and boxes through their house kind of business. But yeah, it's required every part of them. The other, the other story that I want to touch on very quickly, because it's a thought that I'd really like to land in your heads. Um, there's a world-leading coach she's called Dr. Carol Kaufman. She founded the Harvard Institute of Coaching in the US. And she said to me, and this is the powerful statement, she said, you would not know me if it wasn't for this moment. And it was a particular conversation she was having early in her career, and she was thinking about how she approached a particular situation. She said, three words came into my mind, and the three words were, don't hold back. She said, that was my unlock moment. Every time through my career, I've gone, I've got a choice ahead. My mantra in my head is, don't hold back. And she said, if it wasn't for those three words, we would not be having this conversation. She's now one of the most famous coaches in the world, written many books. You know, she works with Susan David in Harvard, who many of you will know from um, you know, her work on emotion and change. And it's so powerful, that idea that you can have words drop in your head that over decades to come you know, uh, direct your path. And I think for many people in this room, you'll have something like that. You'll think back and say, for me, this is what it is. Don't have to tell other people, but know what it is for you. It's really powerful. I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, what is uh, one thing that you hope we can all leave this room with today? If there's one thing we, we retain uh, or one thing we'd commit to doing as a result of listening to you, what might it be? I'd like to do two things. One is I'd like to go find the Unlock Moment podcast, follow it so you, you get updates. We publish episodes three times a week. Um, and listen to some of the stories. Find people that are in a space like yours um, that connect with your story. Um, and I think that will really help people. But, and then for you, ask that question. Where would you start in my story to understand who I am today? Are you five years old, 10 years old, 25 years old, 50 years old? It could be any time, but really think about in that moment, where was I? Who was I with? What was I thinking? That's your other moment. Thank you very much. And where can we all find you? You can find me online, garycrotos.com. Connect me on LinkedIn. Theunlockmoment.com is a website, and it's on all of the podcast platforms. We'd be delighted for you to come and find The Unlock Moment podcast. Dr. Gary Crotos, thank you so much. Thanks, everybody. This has been The Unlock Moment, a podcast with me, Dr. Gary Crotez. Thank you for being here. You've been listening to a special live recording of The Unlock Moment with me in conversation with Georgia Kerr of Right Business Results, recorded at the Clown 23 Innovation Summit, brought to you by Investor Ladder and CRSI. Find out about next year's event by going to the website climb24.co.uk. You can find out more about how to figure out what you want and how to get it in my book, The Idea Mindset. Find me on Instagram at Dr. Gary Crotez and subscribe to this podcast to get notified about future episodes. Most listeners to this podcast on Apple and Spotify haven't yet hit the follow button. If there's one thing you can do right now to help me out, then please click the follow button. The more followers I have, the better guests I can attract for you to learn from. Thanks again for listening and join me again soon here on the Unlock Moment.